You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. If you didn't hear me at the beginning, uh, just a warm welcome to you. And um, also not just beautiful. Thank you so much, Sam. And please come again tonight. We'll have extended worships, a lot of ministry. It's going to be uh, a great time. So welcome, everyone, to the start of our vision series. It's going to take about four or five weeks over this. And uh, to quote Josh, who's our associate pastor, what I'm doing the next couple of weeks is kind of revving the engine whilst the handbrake is still on. Okay, so uh, there's some bigger announcements coming up, okay, uh, but I kind of want to set the scene uh, over the next couple of weeks. So this series is called Making Room, and this series is actually meant for February next year, um, and I could have done it probably six months ago, but I've, I've, we're here now, okay, and it's really as a response to... Uh, the acceleration that we're seeing among us and that God is doing. And I'd love for you, if you've just got a Bible, just turn to John 14. I just want to read a few verses from John chapter 14. I could go in many directions with this, um, this text, particularly in the times that we're living in. <clears throat> so do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And these verses have always had a a personal significance to me, personal application to my life. Many years ago, some of you will know this man, <clears throat> a guy in our church um, who would help to become friends with, he'd given his life to Jesus. And he was a guy who struggled with many things, particularly uh, with uh, addiction. He's about 40 years of age. And uh, one particular moment, he, he'd been trying to get hold of me, um, and I actually didn't get back to him for a couple of weeks. So he'd been trying to get a hold of me for a couple of weeks. And, um, and then I discovered, I got a phone call, um, that he, di- he died in his flat alone. Um, during that time, actually, he'd, he'd uh, been trying to get a hold of me. And, you know, as a pastor, you love people. That was a, a hard one to swallow, because obviously you're, you're thinking, could I have done something? What if I'd picked up the phone? And you're going through all of this. And so I was particularly broken. I kind of felt guilty that I could have done a lot more. And I asked the Lord to speak to me. And uh, he drew me to these verses. He drew me to John 14. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, this particular individual was not made for this world. He struggled with so many things, so much addiction, that he just wasn't made for this world. And in the Lord's mercy, he brought him home. And, uh, you know, this, along with uh, many other moments, has, has served as a, an inspiration for our compassion ministries. Uh, this guy was introduced to Jesus through a food parcel and a question, you know, how can we pray for you? And um, really, everything that I seek to do 
is part of his legacy. It's part of um, what he taught me in the couple of years that I knew him. And Jesus says, as he comforts his disciples, that his father's house has many rooms. Completely aware of all the suffering that he is about to endure in a few hours, already feeling the coming weight of sin-bearing, already tasting the, the bitter cup of divine judgment, the cup of death being forsaken by his father. And he is still, and this is our Jesus who we love, he is utterly absorbed in the fears and the sorrows of his beloved disciples, as if he was not the sufferer at all. He's, he's about to go to the cross, he's on the way to the cross, and yet I think this is, is, you could argue, is one of the most humiliating times before the cross. He is offered no comfort, no mercy from his most intimate friends. And instead of being occupied with what was before him, he's now completely occupied and consumed with their sorrow. And he offers them, offers them a couple of things. First of all, he offers them a promise of you have a home in heaven. And then later on, and we haven't got time to go into this, he offers the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So he says, well, I've got to go, but I will send you one, the Holy Spirit, the comforter. So he offers us a promise but that promise is only made empowered by his presence. And so the combination of promise and presence, which we all have now as followers of Christ, is what Jesus was offering to them and leaving with them. But here we have him talking about heaven. And sometimes heaven is called a country because of its vastness. Sometimes it's called a city because of its inhabitants. Sometimes it's called a kingdom because of its rule and order. Sometimes it's called a paradise because of its beauty. Sometimes it's called an, a house because of its family. And here it's referred to my father's house, heaven, family. And Jesus is going, he's going to prepare a place for them and for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him, he goes and prepares a place for you. In his father's house, there are many rooms. And church, our calling, our mandate, our mission, our vision is that we do everything we possibly can to help people find their way to one of those rooms that Jesus has prepared for people. Jesus has a room and we're going to help people find one of these rooms. And in the following verses in that text, it talks about that Jesus isn't a way or a truth or a life. He's not an option. It says he is the way, the truth, the life. You cannot come to the Father's house and one of his many rooms unless you go through Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. This is the gospel. And church, we've got to be convinced of that and actually since the beginning of the year when we've been looking through the gospels at the life of Jesus and mission this is what we've been allowing God to speak to us about that we're a people on mission and this is our mission and I love church how we're responding to that invitation by God I love how we've really established a culture of invitation in the life of our church just 
been here at the Alpha course on Thursday to have 120 guests, half over half sign up to do the course. A couple hundred people in this room serving, team serving, being so welcoming. Oh, I could have retired. <laughs> Friday morning, that was it. I'm done. Because it was really everything that we longed to see in the church. And actually, I'd love for uh, Simon, could Simon Coop come up? I'd love for him just to share a little story. Can we welcome Simon? Just grab a mic there. Simon, would you share a little bit of a story that happened actually on, on Thursday? Yeah, so I was part of the welcome team out in the foyer, and Steph said we should all pray and ask God's power and to God to break in and just do the unexpected, really. Um, and some of you, as you came in, you may have seen uh, there's like a, like a road traffic collision. There's a guy on a motorbike who was knocked off. It wasn't serious. It was okay. The bike was a complete wreck, but the, he, was, he was pretty much fine. Um, and so Ed said, oh, can we just send like, a few people down just to check out, see if we can help out? Um, so we went down. I think there was John and Anthony was there. Um, it's good to have lots of doctors in the church, I find. Yeah, it was kind of like Very overkill, really. So uh, we checked him out. Yeah, everything was fine. It was a low kind of impact collision, and he was laid out. But there's a lot of kind people stopped by. They kind of pulled up and said, yeah, I'm, I work at the hospital, or this, that, and the other. And someone stopped. Uh, she was a midwife. And we said, oh, yeah, I think we're okay on that in that department. Um, but thanks very much. Really appreciate the question. And so uh, someone else stopped. And she says, oh, I've just come from the hospital. I'm a nurse, but I'm trained in uh, motorcycle collisions and trauma. Um, so she kind of helped out. And then she recognized uh, me and, and Anthony and said, what are you guys doing here? Um, and we said, oh, yeah, we're at the Alpha um, uh, launch party. And so everything sorted out. The police took the guy because it was going to be six hours for the ambulance to come because it was uh, a low priority. Um, and we said to her, when you come back, there's some food here warm up, get a cup of tea. So she said, oh yeah, I'll come back. And she came and said, oh, one of my friends, Ellie, comes here. Uh, so I said, oh, I'm sure I saw Ellie come in this evening. Uh, so we came in, there was some food left, it's brilliant. Found Ellie, so we got uh, connected. Um, and on the way out, she said to me, I've signed up, I'm coming next week. Wow. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Simon. Isn't that amazing? Just a, what could have been a, a really difficult situation because there's a culture of invitation. There's plenty of space for you. And then it's amazing that she signed up uh, to the course. And so this text in John is one of the, the passages in Scripture that has inspired us as a church and our church vision. And when I say vision, I, d I don't just mean vision. Actually, it's become more of our culture. It's our our values, it's the why we do stuff, it's uh, our DNA, it's our behavior, it's the essence of who we are as a church, and it's that we are welcoming people home so that they find a room and home later on. We welcome people home here so that they will find a home later on. This is what we do. We're here to help our city and beyond find home. And we seek to do this in three ways, don't we? God is home, first and foremost, and church is home, a family, a community, and then welcoming our city home, Hull and beyond. Essentially, in that we fulfill what does it mean to be the church in the Bible? 
up, in, and out. First and foremost, worshiping Jesus. Then being a family, being the church, and then reaching out in mission and compassion. Christ, community, and culture. And this is what is our discipleship. This is what's shaping us. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus Christ, to do it in the context of community, as family, not as individuals, and to reach our culture. And so the challenge for us in all of those areas that I just mentioned is, are we, this is the question I'm always asking myself, staff team, leaders, people in the church, is are we constantly creating and making more room so that more people can find home and a room? So kind of like a, a main headline point would be this, we make room in order to give room. We make room in order to give room. Again, the verses say, in my Father's house are many rooms. And like Jesus has gone to prepare for our arrival, we too need to create rooms and more space for people to come home. We need to do the necessary preparation to welcome people home. And... um, before we move on to the practicals of this in a couple of weeks' time, I, I think it's important that we grasp this in our hearts because I think the way I've always seen it in my life and in churches and indeed the Bible is that space and room needs to be first internally created before externally made a reality. As there's a lot of churches throughout our country that are praying, that are asking God for growth for asking for more people, for asking us to reach more people with the gospel, to see more people come to Christ, baptized, discipled. But actually, they're not willing to pay the price for that. And so actually, it can be a bit of a virtual reality experience. And I've always found that we must make room in our hearts, in our minds, in our creativity, in our finances, practically, in our time, in our priorities, in our emotions, in our reach, beyond borders. We must do all those things. We must make room as followers of Jesus in here, in here before we see it out there. And that's the challenge for us. We must make room. I've always loved God's very helpful responses to things in the Bible. I was thinking about the prophet Jeremiah. And he's complaining to God, which is never a great idea, is it? He's complaining to God, and this is God's answer in Jeremiah 12. He says, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? In other words, you'd expect God to maybe have some sympathy to his plight and his complaint. But God basically says this, if you're worn out now, what happens when the pace pickens up? And so the challenge has always been this. Can we make room? Can we make space? Can we, can we say, Lord, take the land for Jesus in my own heart before taking the land for Jesus in our communities? That's always the discipleship journey for us. 
But God is graciously, and, and we plan and we sow, but God makes all things grow. God is graciously growing us. And here are some markers of that. I'm sure today's no different, but in the last couple of Sundays alone, we've had nearly 500 people attending on each Sunday. And, and that'll probably be about two, under two-thirds of the people in our church. You should get about two-thirds of the church attending on a Sunday. And so that's a lot of people, a lot of kids, a lot of youth. Um, alpha, I, I don't know of an alpha course quite like it. I, I've, had been, I've done alpha courses all my life and had small groups and we filled out little cafes and things like that. But to have 120 guests at an alpha is amazing. I think about City Carols and I had an email just the other day. Can I bring 40 people to City Carols? I'm like... Yeah. Um, we've had to, we've launched a, you can go on citycarols.co.uk, you can get your tickets. We've had to, the first one at six has sold out nearly, I think we're about nearly 1,300 tickets sold. And now tickets are selling fast at the 3.30. Um, I, we're not going to do a 12. Can I just say, just in case the teams are panicking. I don't know, maybe we are. Um, and so that's an, an amazing thing that's happening. Uh, I was just so moved. A little church in one of the suburbs of Hull don't have many people, don't have much resource, don't have much finances. The pastor texted me this last week. He said, I've just been with a couple of our leaders and we'd like to give you a thousand pounds for the City Carols event. So moving. I don't know when things like that are happening. God is up to something. Think about ministries. Think about the bonfire I just mentioned and the presence of God and the people and the diversity of people we're reaching. I, I think we're in, I alluded to this last week, like a kairos moment. There are two words for time and kairos biblically in terms of time is, a, is where there's a, a moment of or a season of favor and opportunity upon us. And this is all by God and for his glory. I was sent this by um, a lady called Helen in our church family, which I found so, so helpful. I want to read it to you. It's an email she sent. Imagine a young couple who decide to start a family. They are overjoyed when they have their first child. and The following year, they are delighted to welcome their second. A year later, they're excited when the third arrives. But by the fourth year, they are more than a little nervous when they find out they're having a fall. I think they were Catholic, but anyway. They have to make some serious changes, a bigger house, a bigger car. The wife can no longer work, and the husband needs a better job to provide for his family. Then the fifth arrives, and the sixth, the car becomes a minibus. More bunk beds are added. Then the seventh year, they have another child. They move house again and buy a second minibus. <laughs> oh, dear. Much as they love their children, this is becoming a problem. They have another child every single year. By the 10th year, they are overcrowded and struggling to spend quality time with each child. But at the same time, the family brings them so much joy. How do they manage their wonderful, vibrant, happy family and make sure that each child feels loved, valued, and known? This is the story of a growing church. 
Church growth isn't just about the practicalities of keeping everyone fed, clothed, and housed. It isn't just about making room for others. It's about working out how best to lead the family and make sure that the oldest children don't just feel left out. The youngest children feel welcomed, and the others don't end up with middle child syndrome. It's about helping the whole family to intentionally prepare a place for each new child and feel secure as the family changes again and again. I love that. Such a beautiful analogy. And the heart of that is, and this is why we want to take some extra time, and I'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, is that this isn't just important for making room for others, but this is important for you and I. Actually, some of the things we want to do is a gift, not to just that, that nurse who came on Thursday out of the blue, but also to us here Saturday. Why, why do we need to make room? Well, we need to make room for people uh, like this student who are so touched by their story. I asked them to send this in to me this week. Let me read it to you. Growing up, I always went to church. My dad was a minister, so my whole family went every week, and I was involved in many clubs through the week as well. And when I was 16, I had a really tough experience with church and with a lot of people who went to church. This experience caused me to stop going to church and have a lot of anger towards Christians in general. I felt a lot of pain and hurt at the thought of going to church. I would feel real anger when thinking of the way I was treated by people who were supposed to be loving and accepting. When I walked away from going to church, it was hard for my dad. He would always try and get me to go to church with him or to get involved in any church I would be willing to go to, but I really had no intention of going back. Eventually, I came to Hull University and was really nervous, as can be expected. While helping me unpack, my dad posted a photo of me on Facebook with a caption basically explaining that I was starting at Hull University. It turns out he was following someone on Facebook who was already a student here, and they messaged me asking if I'd found a church yet. I made up some excuse about why I hadn't chosen a church to go to yet, and they told me they went to Hull Vineyard and invited me to come along on the next Sunday. At first, I was hesitant and tried to give an excuse. This person kept messaging me, and in the end, I thought the best way to stop being asked about going was just to go. I bet a lot of people feel like that. In my head, I would go one time, and then I could just say I didn't like it and not have to go again. So I went on one of the first Sundays whilst being in Hull. I was walking there with a lot of hesitation and negativity in my mind. And when I got there and went inside, I instantly felt so welcome. And she puts it like this. And her dad, who I was talking to, told me this. And it's what moved me. And the best way I can explain it is at home. She found home. People were so kind, chatty, non-judgmental. I was annoyed, to be honest, because I wanted to hate it so I didn't have to go back. But I felt so calm. It was the most relaxed I'd been since coming to Hull. I liked that I could just be myself. I loved the service and the worship, but the thing that made Hull Vineyard stand out to me and make it impossible for me to stay away was the sense of the Holy Spirit, not only in the building, but within all the people I spoke to that first day. Since then, I've come every single Sunday, and I've been here and have volunteered at multiple things in the weeks. I love Hull Vineyard, and I'm so grateful to them for helping me find my faith again. Isn't that beautiful? And so people like that is the reason why we constantly need to make room in our hearts. Church, we're already maxed out. We're already bursting at the seams. What if God was to send revival, the revival we're praying for, 
But actually, if we just break it down, what if every single person who signed up for the Alpha course, all those we've invited for City Carols, what if they all come to faith and join our church in January next year? What would we do with them? Do we just say to them, hey, we're good and we got here early and just in time? I'm sorry, but the bus is gone. We just, we just made it. We made it on the bus and we're good. And of course, I don't need to do a vision series on convincing you that that's not the perspective that we need to have. But you know, I, I, had, I had this personally as our, as our story for Journey Eyes, is that we've had more children, we have four, and the demands of space and things um, that that brings. And so in 2021, we actually moved to a, a, a bigger house. And, and some of you will know, because I mentioned it probably about 100 times when it happened, is that um, in the process of helping the removal firm, because they were useless, and in the last few months, I've actually moved to Clough Road, so I don't know what the Lord's teaching me there, but anyway, I got a herniated bowel and had to have an emergency operation. But what I found in life is that every step of growth or making room has always come at a cost. And this is something we've seen in the natural, but I've seen so many parallels to my spiritual journey and the church over the years. You could argue it's like trying on a new pair of shoes. It needs some getting used to. It does feel uncomfortable. I love what John Wimber the founder of the vineyard said, he said, the economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom costs us everything we've gained today. Every time we cross a new threshold, it costs us everything we now have. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we've accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. A disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there is anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It's the willingness to put our hand in his and say, I'm scared to death, but I'll go with you, for you are the pearl of great price. And what I've discovered is that every time we try and make room, every time we grow, is that there is discomfort. It is uncomfortable. There's like this fifth season called transition, and you can't often put your emotions and your language and words to it. It just feels different. Like every new level that you go up, imagine like a staircase. Every time you go up one of the stairs, it's like you're starting again at the bottom. That is how it feels. Growth is often uncomfortable. It's like a realignment that happens in our lives. And when I was thinking and praying about what I felt like the Lord wanted to offer and say to us as a church, it was actually in the form of a question. It was actually an invitation. And it was this, will you, in your church, go low to grow? Because I believe the specific path that the Lord has laid out for us is one marked by humility. It's one marked by meekness. It's one marked by weakness and dependence. It's one marked why it's not about our ego, but actually it is about brokenness and allowing Jesus to be made famous and glorified in our midst. 
that his name is the only name that matters. Josh gave me a quote this week, which I just absolutely loved about humility. It says, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other, and that the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we should reach them. I found now that God's gifts are on shelves, one beneath the other, and that is not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower, and that we have to go down, always down, to get his best ones. And so I, I believe that for us, a heart posture, making room, making space in our hearts as a church is an invitation to humility. That God is inviting us to bow the knee, to submit to him and to his lordship and to his ways. And that in the due time, he will lift us up. We must embrace humility and one of the precursors to humility is humiliation. And Joni and I have found this. We found this in our own lives. We found it in church. Is the enemy will always try and bring humiliation to people, to reputation. But actually, it's God's grace. God often allows these things so we recognize that our faith does not rest on our own strength, but our faith rests on a great God. It's not about how great our faith is. You can have faith the size of a mustard seed, but it's faith in a great God. And he's saying, Lord, I'm just a vessel, an empty vessel. We're broken, I'm wounded. I've got our own issues that we're battling through, and yet in that, there's this treasure, this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, and it's Jesus Christ. And like I said last week, is he not worthy of our everything? Is he not worthy of everything? Jesus Christ. And so next week, I, I want to unpack a little bit about what does it mean for us to posture ourselves in a place of humility, ready for what is to come. But what I'd love to do is just pause here and just for us as a church, just to, to ask the Holy Spirit to mark us with humility. So can we do that? Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.